Hey everybody, it's Harry coming at you back from a couple weeks R&R to kick off the summer. Coming back with some fresh content. I'm really excited because uh, July 13th is the one year anniversary of this show. Happy birthday, podcast. Uh, we'll, I'll say it in the actual episode, but you know, so I'm planning some birthday content for the show. I'm, I have someone... <laughs> Uh, coming on next week who's going to do the the show's birth chart uh, and it was a fun time my guest this week is a singer songwriter named ava sophia i met her at a an event put on by beats by girls uh they put on an event at the record company and yeah uh, ava and i got introduced started talking i checked out her music uh it's very like soulful pop r&b very reminiscent of the late 90s, early 2000s era. Um, you're going to hear us talk Lauren Hill and Alicia Keys in the episode. Anyway, here is my interview with Ava Sophia. Enjoy.
I was like, all right, the next big milestone I'm going to say is 30. So we're getting there. We're approaching, but yeah, thank you for being one of those stops along the way. Um, so my guest this week is Ava Sophia. It's great to be here. Yeah. Nice Metallica shirt, by the way. Thank you. I borrowed it from a friend. Oh, nice. If I, if I had known I would have busted, I think I have two, but that they might both be in the wash because they're both sleeveless and it's getting that to be that time of year where like I'm, I'm anti sleeves yeah. <laughs> for the summer. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally feel that. I think I felt inclined to say that I borrowed this shirt because I feel like I'm a very new Metallica fan. Mm. Did you, did you see them at Boston calling? I didn't, but I wanted to. <laughs> I thought about it, but I kind of like, I don't know if I want to see like 60 year old Metallica trying to thrash about, you know, that's valid. That's valid. There were a great, there, there was a great lineup of acts that day. Yeah. It looked pretty good with Boston calling. It's so like each booking can be like really hit or miss for me. And so I think like this year, if I took plucked all the artists from each day that I would have wanted to see, I could have come up with like one day of a, of a good festival. Mm-hmm. Um, I also heard it was super crowded. I was doing, I was at a different festival that weekend. I heard the same thing. Did you hear about BAMS Fest yesterday? Yeah. Yeah. I was there all day and like, even just being there and hearing Catherine speak about how much she's been through to produce the event and thinking about what BAMS Fest has been able to do, like even in comparison to Boston Calling, it just looked, was starting to make me emotional. Mm. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of other like local groups have kind of, I think it was, you know, kind of due to feeling, I don't want to say like feeling slighted, but Boston Calling doesn't have like a great history of booking local artists. This year was a little different. It felt like they put more of an effort in, but mm-hmm. I feel like in the past few years, a lot of local organizations and local bookers have gone into like booking actual like local fests for Boston, like filled with mostly local artists. Yeah. Um, And it was also, I mean, I think it's the way that a booker chooses to, to put artists on and present artists too. Like it was amazing to see a national headliner yesterday, but it seemed like there was a lot of interaction between that headliner and the local acts. Mm-hmm. Even it seemed like there were previous events where I'm, I'm referencing D smoke mm-hmm. and it seemed like there were even like events in the previous days leading up to BAMS Fest where there was opportunity for, for local acts and, and community members to meet him and talk to him. So I love that. Like, they really make an effort to, to create a pathway. Yeah. And I know a, a couple of years ago, there was, um, I think 2019. So like the last Boston calling before the pandemic, there was, um, Boston answering was happening that same yes, weekend. I remember. Yeah. Were you there? I, th- that was at the strand, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 I was there. Yeah. It was a good time. And then, cause that was organized in part by uh cliff notes and he yeah. played Boston calling. Yeah. But anyway, Metallica. Yes. Uh, have been listening to them since I, my cousin got me into them when I was like a kid and I was never, I've never been into, there's like a lot of metal I like, but I was never like a metal head, mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. they were like the one metal band I listened to like through adolescence until I got to college and like started hearing more. Yeah. I mean, up until recently, I haven't been a metal fan at all, but I think one thing I love about Metallica is just how they just seem to have had such a long, like career that has sustained them so long. And, and to do that, you need to have 
material that's diverse and also will just appeal to a lot of different people. So yeah. I love that they've been able to do that. Yeah. And I mean, like they actually got a lot of flack when they kind of went mainstream. Yeah. Which is like funny because they're one of the most famous bands in the world now to think that like in 1991, like diehard Metallica fans were being hipsters about because Enter Sandman was being played on the radio. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Given the sound of your music, I was not expecting you to pop up on the screen with a Metallica shirt on. <laughs> That's completely accurate. You made it but a fucking sick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, because your music is very soulful. It, it has like an acoustic R&B feel, a lot of guitars, but those like tight R&B licks. <laughs> and your voice is incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, R&B is my genre. I could talk about it all day. Um, <laughs> my, I would say my earliest, some of my earliest influences, I feel like a lot of people know me for, for being a huge Alicia Keys fan. Um, right. I think when you're like a young girl in the early 2000s learning to play piano and sing, like that's the first person who you get compared to. So I think I just like, became attached to that image. And, and I just love, like, I love a female artist who accompanies themselves, leads a band and is honest about the entire like spectrum of who they are. Yeah. And she's got such a, like a range of talent too, because she is a really incredible pianist, mm -hmm. but has that like pop star swagger and status. Yes. But I remember like at that time, like diary blew up. Uh, that like that was huge, like inescapable when I was like 12 years old. Not that I was trying to. Yeah, um, I remember. Yeah, that album was everywhere. And those two are are my absolute like all time favorite albums of mm -hmm. hers for sure. Uh, who who else like from anyone else from around that time, like early 2000s? That was also like a very formative time in my in my music listening life so like who are some other artists who from around that time who kind of like pushed you to to want to write and record your own music i think from around that time i would say my biggest time period of inspiration is like from the 90s to the early 2000s i loved the r&b of that time so i i referenced like lauren hill all the time i referenced mary Blige all the time. I was just in my right after I asked that I was like, oh, these like guitar licks. I bet she's gonna say Lauren Hill. Oh my god, I I miseducation was like that's one of the albums I could like sing through in my sleep. I love mm -hmm. that album. So yeah, that that makes that tracks. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it was a big thing at that time to be just to be like a singer songwriter. I don't know, just that image of like a singer songwriter with an instrument and a band behind you sometimes was mm -hmm. like a big thing. So like artists, even like Nora Jones and John Legend, like I really attribute my sound to to artists like that too. But Nora Jones, that's another, her first album, Come Away With Me. That's another one at the time that was kind of inescapable because it won a bunch of Grammys and it was weird because it's like piano, jazz, pop vocal album, basically very much like in the style of those old like 50s, 60s jazz vocalists like it's weird to think that that was blowing up around the same time as things like the thong song and like 50 cent <laughs> yeah it was a really binary time i feel like it was either like very pop produced or or there was kind of this counterculture image and and i think that's i i think that's something that interests me about that time too mm -hmm. but yeah so uh back to your music a little bit so the song that i think 
and this is what the song I've thought of most to talk about because it's the song of yours I've listened to most. Cause so we met, I guess, what was it? Was it April uh, at the, the beats by girls event? Yeah. Yeah. At, yeah. Um, the record company. So that's sort of where this started getting scheduled. Oh, but yeah. So when we were introduced, I think I was like, Oh yeah, yeah I'll pop on some of your music later. As soon as I left, I, I looked you up on Spotify and like threw on some of your music. Oh, like that. Your top track is love language. Yeah. And so that end actually ended up on a playlist of mine. So it's oh, wow. a playlist I've been listening to fairly regularly. So that song has popped up pretty often in, uh, in the past two months. So that's probably going down as my favorite one. I really like that one. Thank you. That's awesome. I'm, I still like, I've been making music for what feels like so long. And every time someone says that they're a listener or they're like, they've heard one of my songs, it still blows my mind. <laughs> I never go into an interview like raw, <laughs> you know, cause I wouldn't have anything to talk about. <laughs> appreciate that too. But, um, yeah, that one, I really like one, the production on it sounds really good. The mix of like kind of R and B percussion with like a very nice round low end plus mm -hmm. those very those very smooth guitar licks and but what i really like is like i like love language is one of those terms now that it's very important but might also get overused a bit but i also but i think this is one of the best examples of it being used because it's just very the song is very sincere and honest and like it talks about love it balances like the idealistic with also the realistic, I feel in like a, a really endearing way. Thank you. I feel like, I mean, there's so many ways to write about love and love has been written about by so many songwriters, authors, filmmakers. Like it's just such a concept that's been explored for, for like all of human history, I feel like, but I never want to write a song and particularly about love that feels like one, it's not coming from an authentic place. And mm -hmm. two, that it's just something that's already been said before. Mm -hmm. And I feel like with love language, like I really, the, I think the whole inspiration behind it for me was this idea of like people feeling love and and giving love and and receiving love in all these different ways like that's the whole love language concept which i think is is really cool in itself and i wanted to kind of explore that and and think about the ways that like you can be patient with somebody else's love language and and like experiencing love together isn't about like this like glorified romanticized idea that we see in media all the time it's mm -hmm. about like making compromises and it's about like listening to each other yeah getting to know each other over time and like exactly. figuring out how each person works and what makes them feel good and what makes them feel comfortable yeah i i, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that one Thank you. Circling back to Lauren Hill, I also feel like on miseducation, she has that tendency too. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if what you just said was a goal of yours, was also a goal of hers, where mm -hmm. she writes about love uh, in a very, at least at the time, it felt like a very unique way. Because a lot of it, like you said, the way it's represented in media, specifically song, a lot of it feels like, sometimes can feel like obsessive or like either too infatuated or too like possessive or like too reactive to like the pain of love and like the difficulty and the trials. Yeah. And I think especially talking from a woman's perspective, like so much of 
what's out there about love is like a woman giving up something or a woman feeling like she's losing herself to somebody. Mm -hmm. But I love songwriters like Lauren Hill because I, I hear her like, like share, like expressing her feelings, but I also hear her like advocating for herself and kind of, and, and trying to uh, come to terms with like, what is, what is good for the, this love that I'm feeling, but what, what also, what is good for myself? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not like she wasn't like the first independent woman to record a song, but it felt like she really, especially on miseducation was prioritizing, uh, like her independence and her individuality. It, like you said, while also expressing herself emotionally, um, and expressing the good and bad about love in a very honest way. And so I guess love language is, is sort of a descendant of miseducation of Lauren Hill in that way. Oh my God. That feels <laughs> yeah. like such a <laughs> I'll take yeah, you, it though. No, you can, you can use that as, as a quote <laughs> anytime. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about, about love language or love languages in general, not just the song? Well, I do want to touch on, you were talking about the the production of the song and the, the low end and the guitar licks and all that. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say, I wanted to shout out the producer whose name is George Russell, who had been a longtime friend of mine since high school. Um, and he's an incredible musician who is a pianist, is a songwriter, is a producer, is like a one-stop shop of a human being. I think it's so, it, for me in particular, I think in Boston, it can be hard to find people to work with who really understand the particular brand of R&B that I'm going for. Like, I think I do, I, I really care about retaining the sounds of, of like real instruments, but mm -hmm. I also, I don't want my music to necessarily sound dated or, and I don't want it to sound yeah. live either. So I think finding someone who can really understand that is, is so valuable to me. And I feel like on that song specifically, I, I think that that mix of, of kind of um, like electronic sounds and live sounds, I feel like came through perfectly. Yeah, no, definitely. So there is a, a featured rapper. Yeah, his name's Tayshawn Taylor. He's incredible. I should have already, I should have touched on him too already. Um, I came to him with the song, pretty much the first verse and the chorus of the song were already done. And I knew that I wanted to feature somebody else on it. Mm -hmm. And he just happened to have this verse like sitting with him that he hadn't utilized that just fit perfectly with what I was trying to say. Yeah. So that that collaboration kind of came together like pretty effortlessly, I would say. Growing older 
just want to know what I'm working so hard to achieve. And what's so special, what's so special about me? Boston is super small sometimes. <laughs> Especially the arts community. Yeah. But that's also kind of why I love it because you get so many people from different genres who know and work with artists from other genres that you like. Uh, and so there's a lot of like crossover within the community, I feel. Uh, and it yields some like, you know, the whole reason I do this podcast is because I love Boston music. Oh, I love to hear that. I I'm born and raised here. So I have a lot of pride in, in Boston as a city. And, and I have a lot of faith in the music scene, which maybe feels like, like sometimes I can be a bit of an idealist about it, but mm -hmm. there's just <laughs> like, I know there's so many pros and cons to the scene here, but I just feel like there's so much talent that it's only going up from here because yeah. there's so much talent and there's so many people who want there to be a scene that's alive, you know? Yeah. No, I, I feel like, um, another characteristic of a, like just the scene in general, but a lot of artists and a lot of like leaders within the scene, uh, like I think Cliff is a great example of this. We mentioned him earlier, but just like the Boston calling and versus Boston answering thing, like, 
he didn't see like a door open. And so like he created not an opportunity, not just for himself, but for a bunch of other artists. And so there is this mentality of like, all right, so if we're not presented with an opportunity, we're just going to make the opportunity for ourselves and like for mm-hmm. the community. And it feels very like stubborn Bostonian, <laughs> like now nah, we got ourselves. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. But it's also that we've had no choice for so long. Like yeah. what else are we going to do? And yeah, once and- in a blue moon, a Boston band blows up and then they move to like New York or LA. So it's exactly. But I mean, that's why, that's why I was feeling the way I was at Bands Fest yesterday, because I was seeing all these local acts and I was seeing a headliner, a a national headliner in my own city in Mm -hmm. Franklin Park, you know? Yeah, no. And that's, that's a great feeling, especially like, you know, mentioned like having a festival in Franklin Park or like one of the other areas, like we're finding new unique places to, to have these events, especially the past couple of years in the wake of a couple of like huge venue close, not huge venues, but like their closures were huge for the community. Like great Scott and once mm-hmm. were just like devastating, like, holy shit. Those were staples of, mm-hmm. of the scene. And, you know, there's a, there's definitely an effort. I, I hate the term post pandemic. Cause it's like what's post about it, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Uh, just like an effort to be like, all right, we're going to, we're going to create new spaces. We're going to create new opportunities. Um, like I had said at the top of this episode, like we're coming up on the one year anniversary of this podcast. And this podcast was as much of an opportunity for myself to cover music in a different way. Like I've been with Alston Pudding for like six years, but it was also like a reaction to what we're talking about, like seeing all this effort and all this, this talent within the local music community, uh, and just wanting to like, I just want to talk to artists. Really, <laughs> Like it's one of my favorite things to do to like talk about music. So I love that. I love that. I recently was quoted in an article for Vanya land about the, about what it's been like for artists throughout the pandemic with specifically with the venues closing. And I was asked a question about how I feel about about new venues opening up and specifically like larger scale venues that mostly tour, uh, mostly cater to touring acts and I think I mean I love like how we're talking about like I love and I want Boston to continue remaining a city that has like such a community driven attitude towards it in terms of the art scene here but I also think that the more that we're able to generate our own artists and our own material, our own blogs, our own podcasts, like I think the more like bigger institutions are going to take interest in us. Yeah. And I feel like there has to be kind of a, a balance of both. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree because I feel like, I mean, this is sort of getting into like a lot of larger scale, like societal economic things, but I've, for a while, I've had this feeling that like the solution to to create self-sustaining arts communities like within a local area is to because like on one hand, we have the Internet. And so, you know, if I didn't live in Boston and hadn't met you at an event, like I could still find your music anywhere in the world. Like if I lived in, in Germany or or Japan or wherever, like I could still discover your music somehow. I could come across it. And there's something incredible about that because you have access to just this seemingly endless amount of new music that you've never heard and like artists that you can get into who are 
creating somewhere out there. But it's also important to support local artists. For every pop artist that you listen to and support, there's probably someone like within a few miles radius of you who is making also making awesome art that you would enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I wish I could just grab the face of everyone and be like, support local arts. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I think the it it's overwhelming now that we, I mean, with obviously the advent of the internet and social media, like how much content there is out there to sift mm-hmm. through. Um, and I think the, the separation between what is good music becomes a little bit more like of a gray area because it's, it's obviously nice to have a label backing you and to have funds and to have resources mm-hmm. to do things like yeah, go on dream, and right? make albums. That's just the dream. Like make money from doing what you love, <laughs> whether that's making music or whatever. Exactly. That's what we all want. But theoretically in terms of quality, anybody could make music that, I mean, what is radio quality is subjective, I feel, but, mm-hmm. but anyone can make music that is, good and honest and and deserves to be heard yeah well i feel like also as time goes on radio quality becomes this incredibly watered down thing that's you know very can be very cut and dry and just like oriented to the lowest common denominator i feel um not that i like i have i used to be more of a hipster in college where i was like oh pop ugh. <laughs> where you know i've come to come to peace. I've come to terms with pop music. There's a lot of great pop out there. Like personally, I don't commute. So I don't like listen to the radio. (laughs) I'm actually like questioning phones now have an FM function, I think, where you can listen to the radio on them. Yeah. Which I have not utilized at all. No, but like, I'm even questioning whether or not that's a hundred percent true. But, you know, so a lot of, you know, it's kind of become like, down to the streaming services and what the algorithm puts on playlists and to think that like whether you are fully aware of this or not a lot of popular tastes are dictated by what you know this this equation has deemed worthy of people to listen to which is feels very like inhuman in a lot of ways And I think whether we're talking what is radio quality or what is going to do well on streaming services, like it's just arbitrary measures to determine what, which music is, has more value, which music, Mm -hmm. which, which music is more likely to make money. Yeah. You know, capitalism, all that. Yeah. I mean, when every, when every listen is only worth like a couple fractions of a cent, which one is going to garner the most, uh, the most listens you use the, you use the C word and we don't say that on this show. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, it, like it is that the platforms don't really help. Like Spotify is not much of a help. Not much of a help at all. I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of having to depend on them. I'm uh, currently in the switch to Apple music. Not that, you know, like Apple is the paragon of moral streaming services, but uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, like I am that tired of Spotify. I love that. I mean, if we were all, if if we were all that committed, then maybe we'd be better off as an industry. Yeah. But also like if everyone switched to Apple music, they would just have a monopoly going. So that's also true. <laughs> you know, they, uh, so uh, we're, 
if you're just joining the show, we're doing economics 101 with Ava Sophia. <laughs> I don't know why I'm not qualified to be no, teaching. No, neither am I. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's let's get back to your music then. Uh, yeah. Skew the uh, economics seminar. <laughs> That's all right. Before we move on, shout out Bandcamp. Even though it's getting bought by bought out by a big company, I love. Oh, I didn't do it yesterday. I've been making every band every Friday Bandcamp Friday. Instead yeah. of just waiting for the first Friday of the month where I just like mm-hmm. every Friday, I'm going to buy like two or three things that are on my wish list. I love that. I also, I, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking so much shit here, but I, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I have not, um, utilized Bandcamp almost at all. Like I have not utilized Bandcamp Fridays. I think I have not like updated my Bandcamp in so many years. I got to get on that. Yeah, definitely. Um, like I've used it on and off for a while, but it was never like my go-to, but just because I, in recent years, I've gotten more and more into like, especially like local artists and DIY artists or more uh, niche subgenres of things. It's become a platform I use more and more. I also like one, I like supporting artists and like knowing that like, you know, I'm not listening to one song and you're getting like 0.0111 repeating sense for it or however much it is. It's, I think it's smaller than that, but um, like I, like I paid $10 for this and you're getting a, a larger chunk of that money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I also like having a collection of music. Like this is the music that I bought. Like I, I like this enough to spend money on it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I can download it and actually like, Speaking of the early 2000s nostalgia, (laughs) I miss the iPod classic. Like, I I really feel like Apple hit the nail on the head with that and they kind of dropped the ball. (laughs) I know. I do miss those days of like, like going into my friends' iPods and like stalking their what they have on there Mm -hmm. and like, 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 uh, you you listen to that. Exactly. Being able to judge them off of like, (laughs) willing to pay for it. And isn't that what it's all about? judging people uh yeah that was i still have like two of my ipod classics but the batteries are questionable so they only last like 30 minutes oh man you gotta hang on to those though i know yeah they've been they've been through some shit they've seen better days (laughs) but um i wish like apple could probably make a back all right we said we'd end the economic seminar but like (laughs) apple could probably make a good amount of money if they reissued like iPod classics. I, I think know. there would be demand for it. I can see it happening. I can see it happening. Mostly I just want a device that is dedicated to playing music rather than having to stream out of my phone on the subway all the time. That's not the only place I stream music, but you know, I commute back and forth to work. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I miss, I miss dedicated MP3 players. I think if vinyl is coming back and, and cassette tapes are coming back, then iPods will come back at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. Cause I own a lot of music. Like I've never deleted the file. Like I just have a hard drive full of like thousands, like an entire year's worth of like music library. I think the, <laughs> I think the lesson here is we just need more people like you in the world. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I, I tell myself that every night before I go to bed. <laughs> Right in the mirror. It's my my delusional affirmation. All right. So two of the other songs I had been thinking of, and they kind of felt 
they kind of felt like companions, which they are on the same EP to see and hear herself. So searching and restless. I really, really like those. Thank you. Yeah. And they sort of felt like, like I said, sort of companion songs in a lot of ways. They both kind of, to me, longing to, to find meaning, you know, like you're in, you're in your mid twenties. I was recently in my mid twenties. <laughs> There's a lot of like searching to find like, like what is like, why am I here? Like, what is the point of what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. That's a time in your life where things can seem stagnant sometimes, especially if you're not like, you don't come from like a wealthy background where you can just like afford to like fly anywhere you want on like your parents credit cards Mm -hmm. and like you actually have to like work towards what you want and both those songs sort of felt um i don't remember any of the lyrics specifically but they both felt very much in that sort of vein of like ennui and longing and uh try like just trying to find meaning in at a time when you're kind of first stepping out into the world as like an independent young adult. Yeah, that's exactly the place that I was at when I wrote both those songs. I've never heard those songs referred to as companion songs. I think that's really interesting. I lived, uh, I listened to them back to back because I um, like before this on my way home, because if you look at Spotify, they're in they're like your fourth and fifth ranked song. So they just played back to back. I had to like double back and like restart the other one. Cause I was like, Oh, is this the same song? <laughs> That's so cool. That's so cool. I remember writing searching and it was, I think I was in like my first or second year of college at that point. And I was that type of kid it throughout like my childhood and high school that I, I knew exactly what was in front of me every step of the way. Like mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to be a musician for most of my life. I knew that I wanted to go to Berkeley for mm-hmm. most of my high school career. And I think when I got there, I had such a fantasy of what it would be like. And I, I really had my, I started to see the types of people that Berkeley considered successful and the people that Berkeley propped up as like their best students. Mm-hmm. And I realized in a lot of ways, I didn't want to be that. And it made me question well, if that's the case, then like, what is my own definition of success? Like, what is that going to look like for me if it's not getting the approval of, of this place that like, I've been, that I've been working towards. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of where, where searching came from for me. I think that, uh, feeling probably resonates with a lot of people who have gone to college, like at all, where it's just like, Another thing that like, in addition to love, like that's a higher education is something that the media presents us as like, in in sort of like a misleading false way that can kind of have like false expectations. Like I went to BU, so I didn't have like, it does, that does not look like a college campus. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a street. Uh, So there was no, there's no like quad, no one's playing like barefoot Frisbee uh, in the quad, like at four in the afternoon. Um, you know, just uh, like, it doesn't look like it, but I actually was very happy with that. I remember because like, I think I got there and I realized that like, Oh, this was a good decision because I don't think I want that like typical college experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
everyone, when I was just at the beginning of college, everyone around me, like all the professors I was hearing during orientation events and things like that were saying, like, get to know people, audition for things. Like there was a lot of pressure to be part of the community. Mm -hmm. And I think especially as a local where I kind of had my life figured out in a different way than people who are coming to Boston for the first time. Like Mm -hmm. I had my family, I had my friends, I, I knew the city differently. I think those things made it a little bit more difficult to ingratiate myself in the community. And I think honestly, I would have been much better off. Like I I did perform locally throughout college, but I think I would have been much better off if I, if I knew where to go to be part of the like real music scene. Like I see even college students now who are like involved in, you know, who are on stage at BAMS Fest yesterday and who are playing for, for a lot of the awesome local acts in Boston. And I look at, at them and I'm like, man, had I been able to find my place a little sooner, maybe I wouldn't have been as confused for four years. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I also uh, think that, you know, everybody, yourself included, whatever it is that anyone wants to do, like you have to be down for like the journey. And it's a very young thing to sort of feel like, because to some degree, that feeling comes from like an impatience. You want to feel like you're on the right path and you want to feel like you belong within a community. And it just like, you got to trust that it like takes a little bit of time to, to find that. And it sounds like in the years post-college, you've been able to find that a little more. I think so. Um, and that's also it's funny you say belonging. I'm about to like sell, shamelessly self-promote. Yeah, I, I, you're on a podcast about your music. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> In the album that I'm working on currently, the the title is going to be You Are Where You Belong. Yeah, it's kind of a continuation of that story about me feeling like all these different aspects of who I am and these different parts of my journey, I I feel settled in them now. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can claim them, even though they don't, all those different parts don't make sense all the time. I can find that sense of belonging and home in myself and the environment that I've created for myself. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. You got, you got to be down for your own journey and your own growth and like trust that the feeling of like contentment and belonging will like happen if you just like don't rush it that's true that's so true that's like very much something i would tell my younger self
occupied with protecting my past I don't need a ring but I need you to promise you'll be the flow more easily which i feel like i'm very able to do on a social level but when it comes to like working out like career stuff and what i want to be doing long term it's always been like you know this hasn't happened for me yet and therefore it's never going to happen you know when i was younger i definitely fell into the pattern of like black and white thinking shout out to brian my therapist 
<laughs> Shout out to therapy. Yeah, in just general. in general. Yeah, so that that definitely resonates. Just I'm gonna bring that up next Friday with Brian. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, well, let me write that down real quick. <laughs> Another habit I've been trying to get into is like, oh, I had this feeling or I had this like thought pattern. I need to like write this down so I can remember to bring it up at therapy instead of just sitting there. That's a lot of how, um, that's kind of how a, a big part of my songwriting process too, is like just having somewhere immediate to write down in like just a, like an initial spark of inspiration that I can kind of work out at a later time, but just having somewhere to record it so it doesn't disappear. Yeah. I feel that. I used to try to do that. I think my creative process works a little differently where like if I have an idea, I kind of have to at least get something, get the ball rolling on something like mm -hmm. then or else I like I can't I won't remember it if I just let it like simmer for a little bit or mm -hmm. I'll, I'll remember that there was an idea and then I'll like bang my head against the wall trying to be like, what was it? What was it like? Where where's that inspiration again? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And like those moments are just so far and few between. And I feel like if I don't get them down right away, I'm just going to like regret it forever. Yeah. Do you, do you find that there's any like particular mindset or, you know, like any settings or, or of types of events or whatever that sort of can help spark that inspiration for you? Definitely. I think I've always been inspired by, by my own interactions, but also watching other people's interactions with each other, like just human connection mm -hmm. really interests me. And so I think for that reason, like I love writing on the train. I like when I see, you know, if I'm just sitting there and I see like a couple fight, or if I see yeah. like some kids on the train talking about gossip at school, like those types of things inspire me a lot. I love a good couple fight. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like, uh, this is none of my business, but you are fighting in public. So, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, those are some of people's most relatable moments. Mm -hmm. So I feel like though, maybe that's why, maybe mo that's why maybe those types of moments inspire me because it's just like people's just like reality coming out. Yeah. Can be very raw sometimes concerningly. So I like, I've, <laughs> I've seen some like couple fights that were like, I was sitting, I was on the train. I was sitting across from like two kids, like siblings, uh, probably about like 12 and 10. And I was like, it was like eight at night. And at one at the other end of the train, there was like a pretty egregious couples fight. And I was just sort of like, you know, guys, there's like kids here. Could you like <laughs> maybe chill? And then I got yelled at because I was looking at them, the couple fighting. You got yelled at? Yeah, by the guy because he was like, what are you looking at? And I was like, well, obviously <laughs> you because like oh, you're no. the guy yelling on the train. And I'm also like, <laughs> like low key kind of concerned for these kids. Uh, I think they'll be fine. But like, I wish you'd get off the train, you know, as much as I it can be entertaining to see a couple fight uh, is kind of like this. This is at the point where you might want to figure out some sort of conflict resolution or uh, maybe just bail in the situation or take it somewhere privately. Seriously. Like, especially if there's kids involved. Yeah. I think the kids were a little freaked out, but like trying to mind their own business and just try to get home. Oh my God. What? That's chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm no stranger to, chaotic mbta experiences 
I think if you've lived in Boston long enough, then you're accustomed to it. Yeah. <laughs> even, even the other day, I wasn't on the train, but I was, I think sitting and waiting for a Lyft or an Uber or something. And two, a couple walked by and I think they were, they were just both yelling at each other in the street. And one of them, I can't remember if it was the the guy or the girl, but one of them was just like, I tr- I've tried so hard to commit to this. And I feel like you're not on the same page as me. Like mm-hmm. I just like, like that commitment just kept coming up and I don't remember the specifics of what they were saying, but I just remember feeling like, Oh, that's so real. Yeah. Like all felt that way. They should listen to love language oh my and, God. <laughs> and, you know, figure out what makes the other person work so they can both <laughs> feel that reciprocity in the commitment oh or, God. or if there really is just no commitment and it's very one way, then like she should, she should bail. She should get out. I, that's what I think. Yeah. Right. But yeah, at least one of those people should listen to love language and be a little <laughs> more patient and communicative and understanding. Oh my God. Uh, you know, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. <laughs> that's next time I see a couple fight, I'm actually just going to go up and be like, hi, have you heard of Ava Sophia? <laughs> oh, no. uh, she's a local singer songwriter. I have, so I have a song for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good. And then just play it out of an iPhone speaker. <laughs> and then they all their problems will dissolve. Yeah. They'll be like, you know what? I do want to make this work out. <laughs> oh my God. Or, or conversely, and this is something that, should be an equally happy event that they, they realize, you know what, we kind of aren't on the same page in a lot of ways. Maybe it's for the best. If we just maturely say, let's move on. Also something that should be celebrated because <laughs> mature true. and honest. I love that too. Very true. Since we're wrapping up, is there anything you want to like mention to close out any, any other shameless self-promotions you want to do? Um, if you have any like live performances coming up, I do, I have a bunch of, yeah, I have a bunch of live performances, um, that you can find if you follow me on social media at Ava Sophia music, um, on, you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all of those things. Um, I have a a great lineup of shows coming up this summer. The most uh, impending one is I'm performing this Wednesday at Brighton Commons with the Harvard Ed Portal. And then um, I've got a show at Starlight in Central Square in July. I've got another show at the Elliott Schoolyard um, in Jamaica Plain also in July. So I've got a lot of exciting shows coming up. And if you want to learn more about that, you can follow me, like I said, at Ava Sophia Music. And you can, of course, listen to my music on Spotify, on Apple Music at Ava Sophia. Nice, nice. And if you update your Bandcamp, you can add Bandcamp to that. That's correct. <laughs> and people could go buy yeah. your music there. Maybe I'll finally do that. I just keep <laughs> pressuring me. Just add it to the to-do list. <laughs> I also wanted to, um, once again, just touch on that. I'm coming out with a new EP in 2023, hopefully before then. Um, but my goal is to have it done by next year and it's called you are where you belong. So, um, Oh, like we were just talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It's an album and it has a whole project to it. So, um, if you like what you've heard of my music so far, like stay updated for, um, more updates about that project coming up. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Ava Sophia for joining me this week. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
folks that's the talk i had with ava sophia uh you should go check out our music i just want to as a point of order the tracks you heard across this episode are called love is love searching can't love you and restless so yeah if you enjoyed those go check out more of ava sophia's music on spotify apple music and we will be back next week with special guest Cliff Notes. And then it's going to be a multi-episode week. So going to have Cliff Notes on. And then I'm going to have someone on to do the show's birth chart. Because it'll be the one-year birthday. The podcast is turning one. Really excited. See you there. See you next week.
Bye.